0: We've been talking about the prevailing church and that God wants to build a prevailing church on earth. And we've been talking about that for the last, I think, four months. And so today we talk about uh, how if God wants to build a prevailing church, God wants to build a people who have the capacity to overcome. That overcoming is an essential part of being being a prevailing church. And to go back um, just one or two steps... Um, why do we say God wants to build a prevailing church? Because it says in uh, Matthew 16 that uh, I will build my church and um, the gates of hell shall not prevail against this church. And then we talked about how prevailing means that there needs to be contention. There needs to be engagement. There needs to be contention. There needs to be overcoming. A church that does not engage with the world and with the enemy does not need to contend and a church that does not contend will never overcome. The very nature of the church is that of engaging, of contending and of overcoming. And today we just begin uh, begin talking about what it means to overcome. So if we are building, uh, the thing is guys, we're not trying to build something that is not biblical. This is God's desire. God desires to build a prevailing church. It is his desire. It is not yours. It's not mine. We're not trying to build an empire. We're not trying to build something strong. We're just building his desire. And his desire must prosper amongst us. And his desire is, can I build a church that engages, contends and overcomes? And what does he mean when he says church? He means us. So here's the whole thing rephrased. Can I build you up? Asks Jesus, the head of the church. Can I build you up? To become a people that engage, that contend, and that overcome. He's not asking that I build a few leaders. He's asking that I build an entire people. You, me, us. It's his desire. And so what should be my response, your response? We should be jostling, jockeying for position literally. Jostling, shoving each other out of the way in a nice, kind manner, like Canadians do, jostling to present ourselves as living stones to him. As in, me, 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 me. This is the one place where you get so selfish that you try to push yourself to the front of the line, saying, I'm a living stone, put me in place, make me part of this prevailing church you're building, because at the end of the day, you're a living stone, and you are just desperate to be built into this thing called the prevailing church. Any questions on that? There should be an eagerness, guys. This is not something that happens to a passive people. It's his heart's pleasure. This is what he wants. We cannot be passive about this. And it's an active 24-7, every day of the week attitude. That, oh God, will you build us into a people that are continuously asking To be engaged in the lives of others in the world against opposition. The easiest thing to do is come to church on Sunday. And pretend that it is church. When it's not. I mean, we know that. So ask for it. It must be an active asking. It must be a hungering. It must be a hunger that is beyond your hunger for your family, your children, your wife, your work, it it actually doesn't compare. Your silence just means that you fully agree, right? Good. So, no, I'm realizing that your silence speaks volumes and I'm very happy when I know you agree, even if you don't say anything. Uh, A prevailing church takes on the nature of its head, the Christ. That's the beauty of it. eh? Who is the church to look like? Who should it take after? It should take after the head. And what is the nature of Christ, the head of the church? He was someone who contended. Oh boy, did he contend. Did he contend. Of course he did. He contended with everything that needed to be contended. He did not back down, nor did he jump into a fight that was not his. He contended. And if you don't contend, you never learn endurance. How can you learn endurance without contending? Hey, by the way, never get into arm wrestling with um, uh, Rennie. Just a quick word of advice. Derek did and he lost bad. I had much more wisdom. (laughs) So, uh, you cannot endure until you contend. It's when you contend that endurance kicks in. Anything that is forged by God upon his anvil. Prashant, you've just been promoted to fourth associate pastor. Yeah. Thanks, man. Where did these come from? Pardon? I doubt it. I'd make him the second associate pastor then. So, guys, if you don't contend, you cannot endure. If you don't engage, you cannot contend. If you don't contend, there is no need to endure. My God, we are forged on the anvil of contention. Against things that may come our way But that is where we learn to endure And the scriptures are full of this progression I'm not asking God to send us trouble But I'm asking God to invite us into places Where we have to contend Where backbone has to be shown And when you endure Then you overcome It's when you endure that you overcome. There is no overcoming without enduring. If Christ didn't contend with the Pharisees and legalism that was prevalent in Israel, he would never have had to endure the cross. And if he did not endure the cross, he would not have to overcome sin, death, and Satan. He could have gone back to heaven and been Lord. But he would never be Savior. He would be Christ the son. Just think of this for, the moment, for a moment. He would be the sovereign head of the universe. Christ the son of the living God. Equal with God. But he would not be Lord and he would not be savior. For because he made himself obedient unto death, therefore God has exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. And he is savior too. So prevailing church just takes on the nature of its head. We're not not being asked too much. We're being asked to be like the head. Otherwise, a headless body is useless. It usually runs around for a while and then falls dead. I mean, my dad used to slaughter, uh, uh, instead of going to the market and buying it, he would sometimes uh, slaughter chicken. And you should see a headless chicken. It is the funniest, saddest sight on this, in the world. Because it's running around like a normal chicken. And you're laughing your head off, not realizing that its head is off. And, and it's running around. And it's an odd thing, man. It is a grotesque, funny, sad thing. And so Jesus contends, Jesus endures, Jesus overcomes. He overcomes sin, he overcomes Satan, he overcomes death by living, dying and rising again. And that is the nature of the church he wants to build. And if that is not where we are going, we might as well pack up and go home. There are really nice churches around that do much better music, much better worship. I don't know about the teaching, but uh, those two things, they surely do well. Sorry, they do much better teaching too. I'm just kidding. The point is this, guys. Overcomer implies, the word, the, the moment you use the word overcomer, it implies battle, it implies engaging in the battle, it implies contending, it implies enduring, it implies overcoming, this is what I pray God, happens to Acts 29. I'm not, dis- I'm not wishing it. I'm praying it. I'm praying it. That oh God, make us a prevailing church by bringing us into this. Not from the devil, but from the Lord Jesus Christ. Who by the Holy Spirit was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Led by the Holy Spirit. I pray this for us. And I pray God that when it happens... One thing that will not happen is strife, contention between us. We must raise disciples that are overcomers because it's that kind of disciple that fulfills the mission that Christ has for us. And what is Christ's mission for us? What's the mission of the church? Just remind me, guys, because we reminded ourselves that most churches forget their mission once every three weeks. So what's the mission of the church? I mean, you don't have to fall for the three-week thing, you know. What's the mission of the church? Oh, come on. Okay. Okay. Make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. We have been set aside by Christ to assist Him in setting others aside. Guys, we've got to learn this so well that there should be no hesitation. The mission of the church is very simple. I have been set aside by Christ to assist Him in setting others aside. Do not forget this. There is no other mission. Everything else is gravy. This is the centerpiece. I have been, we have been set aside by Jesus Christ. We have been set apart by Jesus Christ to assist him in setting others apart. And how do we do this? We through, do this through making disciples of all nations. How do we go about making disciples of all nations? By proclaiming the gospel. By demonstrating it by going into places, penetrating places that people haven't gone to, and by causing the gospel to progress. Proclamation, penetration, progression. We talked about this. And in the process, once we make disciples, we build credible communities of Christ. It's so worth going over it again. What is the mission of the church that the church keeps forgetting once every three weeks? In our case, from now on, it'll be once every five weeks. What is the mission of the church? The mission of the church is to make disciples of all nations. How do we go about this? We go about this through the proclamation of the gospel, through the penetration of the gospel, because we don't want to take it to the same places where people have given their lives to the Lord 14 times in the last three months. And the progression of the gospel, where the gospel progresses affecting lives in the process, we now have disciples that need to be raised in this thing called the church. So we call it credible communities of Christ, credible communities of Christ. Not, not communities that just gather around and don't live the way Christ wants, but credible communities of Christ. This is the mission of the church. If the church forgets this mission, it forgets, it, it, it does not have a reason to continue. This is why we have house churches. This is why we have outposts. Don't forget this, guys. You must learn this by heart. Even if you don't understand it, learn it by heart. The understanding will come later. Then it will come out of you anyways. You know where contention and battle and engagement come in? Here. This is why the Western church loves making disciples. After every Indian, African, Asian, Mongolian, um, uh, Czechoslovakian and North Korean has spilt their blood. Now come. Jacob and his team from Acts 29 to make disciples after they have spilled the blood. Now we go make disciples. Teach them discipleship courses. That is the easy part. Making disciples by doing courses in foreign nations is easy. The hard part where the battle, the contention, the engagement and the overcoming, that happens here. That is the hard part. This is where you will be opposed. And as long as we can avoid this, we are good. Avoid proclamation, avoid penetration, avoid the progression of the gospel, and you will be fine. You will go to heaven unscathed. That's a good deal. Any questions, thoughts, comments, disagreements? The reason we need to learn this is if you don't learn this, we won't remind ourselves. If you don't remind ourselves, we can continue living the Christian life that we presently live. And we won't even realize that Cinderella's shoe is missing because she doesn't even remember that she wore shoes. And we continue in amnesia. When Prince Charming arrives with a shoe, you sell it in the market because you don't belong. It doesn't belong to you anymore, you've forgotten. Any questions? Okay. So what are we overcoming? If we are supposed to be overcomers, what are we overcoming? Are the things that we are overcoming. What do overcomers overcome? We overcome the seduction of the world. Powerful stuff does it say. Seduction of the world. We overcome the opposition of the world. Of the world or um, the enemy. Both. We overcome persecution which only happens if you engage and contend. And we overcome uh, the culture of the world. These are the four things that overcomers overcome. And we are all exposed to it. Eh? It is a subtle inroad that these things make. What do overcomers overcome? They overcome the seduction of the world, the opposition of the world, which is uh, spiritual, the persecution of the world, which is physical. And then finally, what you overcome is the culture of the world. Why? Because the world, it says in Ephesians 2.2, 2, is presently under the sway of the prince of the power of the air. And so these are the things offered to you. So what does seduction look like? Seduction looks like variations of mammon, hubris, chronos, pathos, and a fifth one. Money, pride, time passion these are the things that the world will seduce us with a pathos though it means uh, passion is more uh, ha- carries a sense of a lust after fulfilling a feeling or a desire you have these are the seductions of the world they are offered at every level from grade 1 to the ceo of the biggest companies in the world are offered variations of this this is, guys, the strange thing is, this is what was offered to Jesus in the wilderness. If you bow down to me, I will give you all this. The seduction of the world. Opposition is from the enemy, and the enemy does not oppose till you engage in three things proclamation which is both the profession and the demonstration of the gospel. Penetration, which is to take the gospel into places where it is not making much of an inroad. And progression, where after the gospel is proclaimed, you do something with your story that has been affected by Christ's story. You use your story to influence now it begins to progress, the gospel begins to progress because it is the only thing that changes people. There is nothing else in the face of the world that can change a man than the power that is present in the story of Jesus Christ of which you have a part. It's odd, eh? my story is such an important part of Jesus' story. It just stuns me that my story is such an important part of Jesus' story. Because he's the author, the chapter he's written into my life now becomes a chapter through which he displays himself. And the more I'm yielded to him, the more I'm available to him, the more he writes into that chapter and it begins to tell of who he is through my life. It's marvelous what God has done, including me in his meta story. So when you are going through tough times, who has the final word? He. Why? Because like Rennie was saying, he's the author and the finisher of your story. Endure. Because there is good that is going to come out of this. Not to you. The good that happens to you is a testimony that you share in church. But the good that happens to the ones that are watching and waiting just creates ripple effect after ripple effect where it just spreads. Who cares about you? I do, but it's really not about you. It's really not about you. Persecution comes when uh, spiritual opposition turns into physical resistance or physical aggression. That is when persecution comes. So that's a physical element of opposition. We have not faced it. I'm not uh, asking for it either. But uh, spiritual opposition will come the moment you begin proclaiming, penetrating and progressing the gospel into the world. And then that is usually followed by physical opposition, which takes the form of persecution. And finally, there is that word culture, which is the collective thinking of a people. Culture is the collective thinking of a people. And if there is one thing that Satan and the world fight for. It is, can I influence the collective thinking of the church at large? Can I influence the collective thinking of all the kids in Finn's class? Can I influence the collective thinking of young adults in churches? Because there is a certain way each group behaves. Can I influence that? And the way it influences that is through edutainment. And the only opposition to this culture comes in places like this, through the teachings of Christ. Why did Paul write the letters? If you look at the letters really to the churches, usually the last two chapters of every letter is dedicated to the changing of thinking. That you live in the midst of Rome where Caesar is worshipped. You live in the midst of Rome where pagan deities exist. You live in the midst of Corinth where you cannot trade if you do not belong to a guild that declares Caesar as Lord. Now then, since you live in this pagan atmosphere, let me tell you what it is to be a counterculture in the world. And then Paul begins to say, this is how you need to behave. At the end of the day, be it Jesus' beatitudes or Paul's epistles, they point towards one thing. There is a way that people of the kingdom live and there is a culture that belongs to the people who declare Christ as king. Will you now behave like that or not? And that is what we are taught in places like this. This This is what Sunday church is about. Sunday we come and chisel away so that our sculptures don't look like the sculptures of the world, but they have a certain way. That is what happens on Sundays. That is the only thing that we're meeting together for. Everything else we can do without a building like this, without a pastor. But with leaders, yes. It's not the only thing, it's one of the main things. These are the four things we are supposed to overcome. Any questions, guys? Thoughts, questions? I mean, I sometimes listen to my uh, bits of my teaching later on in the week. I think to myself, man, you shout so much. But guys, please understand, I'm not shouting because of any other reason, but because these things need to be shouted out, man. They are so powerful, so potent. How can you say this in a whisper? You know, there's a culture that we need to cultivate called the kingdom culture. Just doesn't carry the same thing. Questions? Pride? The pride of life? There's a fifth one. I keep forgetting the fifth one. Mammon is variations of security and money, hubris is pride, where the pride of life takes over. Kronos is time where if mammon doesn't get you, time will try to rob you blind because you've just figured out that, oh, I'm not very interested in money and I walk humbly, but I'm going to dedicate all my time to this particular pursuit or this particular business and you just lose the one critical thing that God has given you to use well, time. Or you get so passionate about things that are valid, legit, but replace Christ. If I get passionate about Acts 29, I'll replace Christ. If I get passionate about worship, I will replace Christ. If I get passionate about prosperity, I will replace Christ. If I get passionate about healing, I will replace Christ. And whatever replaces Christ, in that area, you will find depletion. So if you put prosperity at the center and put Christ alongside it or to the side, you will find that you will begin to have a lack. If you put the church at the center, you will find that your church will begin to dismantle because whatever is placed at the center will cause depletion in that very area. Strange how this works. Put security at the center... And Christ to decide, or Christ as your security giver? Here's the other thing churches do. We decide that Christ is security giver, Christ is healer, Christ is this, Christ is that. And the moment you do that, in that area, you begin to see lack. Because Christ is someone of unsurpassing worth and he stands alone. And you lay yourself down saying you can be whatever you want to be to me right now and today and tomorrow. You be what you want me to be. I don't demand you to be something to me. You know, it is because the church in the book of Revelation fell for these things that Jesus Christ had to write personal letters to six of them. To the church of Philadelphia, he was very... Um, uh, uh, his, his letter was very um, I mean it was full of commendation but to the other six churches the reason he had to write is because they succumbed to one or the other of these and so he had to write to them personal letters personal letters hey church in Pergamum I know you have love and faith and perseverance but you have begun to tolerate that woman Jezebel and you have begun to tolerate idolatry and so he would write to all of them because they succumb to one of these. You think we won't? You think we aren't? You know, there's a lady called Yvonne. Most of you haven't met her. Uh, she, long ago when she had come to this church, she had this dream and God has added to this dream ever since. Uh, and she talked about how um, there was this uh, beautiful bride who's... Who's on a float in a parade, and uh, she's not a float—one of those. Yeah, I think the uh, the truck that takes you down the parade route, uh, like it does today. And she's decked in beautiful white. And at some point, while people are cheering and saying this is beautiful, uh, someone offers her stuff to eat. That. Uh, she knows she shouldn't eat but she decides it's a parade things are going well she'll just take a bite of what is offered to her so she takes a bite and it's tasty she takes another bite and now while the parade route is snaking itself through the city her stomach begins to uh, feel upset so she gets off this truck that's taking her down the parade and she runs into the fairgrounds because she needs to go to the toilet she goes to the toilet but when she comes out her white gown is spattered with all kinds of refuse and stuff. And now she is back on the truck. And people are, don't know whether to cheer for her or jeer at her. Because here is this beautiful bride, but her dress is spoilt with all kinds of yuck. And at some point, people decide that there are still spots left on her, so they take mud balls and they begin to throw it at her. Initially, she ducks, but then she begins to enjoy the game and allows people to throw stuff at her, and it begins to stick. And there is this beautiful bride whose dress is now completely ruined, from pure white to just yuck. Yvonne saw this ages ago, 13 or 14 years ago. And since then, God has added to this vision. And it's a vision of the church sometimes. And yet in Zechariah 3, God turns that around on its head. And he says, listen, Zechariah, you see Joshua the priest there? Let's look at him. And so when you open to Zechariah 3, you see God doing something. And this is what we must aim towards. Jesus, could you do this with Acts 29? Where we've contaminated ourselves first with food we should not eat. Then we've allowed ourselves to go into a toilet where we were just completely... Uh, besmirched with stuff that is yuck and then somehow we think it's a funny thing. Initially we were ashamed of what we looked like and now we allow others to put more stuff on us because it's become a game. And then in Zechariah chapter three, God says, listen to what I'm going to do. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan, standing at his right side, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said, To those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes and he said to Joshua, see I've taken away your sin, I'll put rich garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on my head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. And then the angel of the Lord says, if you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts and I will give you a place among those standing here. This is what we will pray for tonight, this evening, before we go. That, oh God, would you give us a clean turban and clean clothes? The first, uh, I mean, uh, three weeks ago, we prayed that God give us purity and holiness. Last week, we prayed that God, we're not looking to be filled with faith. We are looking to be fearless people. Today, we'll pray that, oh God, could you now give us a passion for your bride? Be zealous for the purity of the church, guys. Be zealous for the purity of the church. How can we build a church that prevails if we don't have a zeal for the purity of the church? Be zealous for the purity of the church. It'll be shown in many different ways. Many different ways, which I won't go into right now. But be zealous for the purity of the church. Jesus was when he cleansed the temple. What do you think grasped him when he takes a whip and he goes chasing money lenders out of the temple? He's saying, this is my father's house. There is a way this house must be. Be zealous for the purity of the church. And by purity of the church, what do I mean? Our corporate purity. Our desire to have a bride decked in white, spotless and clean and doing everything in our power So that we can then stand and be a prevailing church. Because I keep taking us back to Psalm 24. Who shall ascend his holy hill? Who shall stand and say, lift up you ancient gates. Lift up you doors. But he whose hands are clean, he whose heart is pure. And he who has not slandered. He shall stand. And then the king of glory says, aha, I'll come. It's always that way. We've made this grace message so accommodating that it doesn't matter how you live, God will turn up. But you see again and again and again, Isaiah says, "Whoa! I'm a man of unclean lips. God has to come and change that. Joshua stands there with clothes that are dirty. God has to come and change that. He is the one who points it out But if we are willing He is the one who then takes the cold to cleanse us And then if we are willing He will give us a clean turban and new clothes Why? Because it's his heart's desire The strange thing about repentance is He initiates it He helps you with it And he is looking forward to finishing it All he wants from you in repentance is Will you admit to me what I already know? Will you tell me what I already know? And sometimes he doesn't let you get through that either. Like the prodigal son's father wouldn't let him even finish his confession. I'm here to tell you that I have done wrong. You can treat me as a servant. Shush, I saw your repentance a mile away. Be zealous for the purity of the church. Jesus was when he cleansed the temple in John chapter 2. And the Holy Spirit was zealous. See, it's odd when God gets zealous, better watch out, eh? One of the disadvantages of being in this church is that I have a strange feeling that God, if he really gets zealous about this church, it won't be good for us to continue the way we are. I'll have to change in whatever area he requires me to change. Because when Jesus got zealous about the temple, what did he do? Took a whip and cleansed it. When the Holy Spirit got zealous about the church, what did he do? Decided that Ananias and Sapphira were in the way. And who can give you the zeal? Only one. This zeal cannot be fabricated, it cannot be stirred, it can't be rarad, I can't make it happen. The only one who can initiate it, fire it up, pour oil into it, make it a burning inferno, is God. But there is one thing I need to do, oh God, I want it. Someone asked me recently, I'll come there later. Guys, I am zealous for the bride of Christ because love for the bridegroom must be seen in your passion for the bride love for the bridegroom must be seen in passion in your passion for the bride if you say that you are in love for, with the bridegroom then show me your passion for the bride and i will agree but if you say you're passionate about that you love the bridegroom and i don't see your passion for the bride expressed then i have a right to call you a hypocrite as you do me Four distortions that you must resist at Acts 29 or in any church that you are at. Four distortions that you must resist is one following Christ without flowing in the body. Following Christ without flowing with the body. This is a distortion. You cannot love the bridegroom and not have a passion for the bride. You cannot. Two. Flowing with the body without pursuing Christ. Flowing with the body without pursuing Christ. That's another thing that can happen where the body or the denomination or the doctrine Or or the movement becomes so important That it is all consuming It is all consuming And Christ and his will No longer matter Because the movement The revival the, 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 The new thing that God is doing Is all consuming Three Following the leader At the expense of Christ and the body Following the leader at the expense of Christ and the body. Where, because the leader is charismatic, or because the leader is um, intimidating, or has an imposing presence, or because the leader is brilliant, you begin to now. Follow the leader, and you are benefiting, you are getting better, but it is at the expense of Christ and the body. And the last one. Yep. Number three, where um, the, uh, let's assume someone thinks I'm brilliant. And We won't debate whether they are right or wrong uh, because we are short of time. But uh, let's, assume, <laughs> let's assume someone thought I was brilliant. And now they want to spend time with me, learn from me. Um, they want uh, everything that I've got. They want me to prophesy on them, help their grace come out. And all that, and all that is fine. But they don't really learn of the rest of the body. They don't seek anybody else out. Everyone else becomes Secondary. And I begin to speak for Christ into that person's life, and the person now only has me as reference point, not as, not Christ as reference point. This happens easily when the leader is charismatic, or um, has a certain gifting. It's very easy to go down this road, guys, and is the ruin of many leaders in many churches. Because all it takes, if Aaron was doing that, is for me to do something that hurts him so badly, that it will dismantle his life. Because he put everything into this relationship. And I hurt him once, and he will turn his back on Christ. Because he never had Christ to begin with as a solid foundation. He had me. And fat good, that will do to him. And the last one is uh, following Christ and the body and the leader. Following Christ. this This applies to Acts 29. Following Christ and the body and the leader. This seems such a cool thing to do. You've got all things right but not willing to lose your life. Acts 29 is a church that is willing to follow Christ, willing to flow with the body, willing to listen to the leader and leaders. But Acts 29 is nowhere near willing to lose their life. As in, deny life itself. And how do you deny life? By refusing self-preservation, by refusing self-exaltation. That's how you deny yourself. Self-preservation is something that's so deep-rooted in our culture and in us as people at Acts 29, that if this doesn't go, we ain't going anywhere near prevailing church. So if you fall into one of these categories, then admit to God what he already knows. I definitely fall into this category. Questions, comments, thoughts? I'm zealous for your ways. You don't know how much zeal I have for you. You don't know. I want to say this. I want to quote Paul from Second Corinthians 6. If you don't know how zealous I am for you, it is not because my love for you is small, but because your heart is not open to me. Let me say that again. I am zealous for you. It is easy to be zealous for a small number of people. It is It is within my capacity to be zealous for you. I am zealous for you. Zealous not that you give more to this church. Zealous not that you stay in this church. But I'm zealous for you in terms of you becoming everything God needs you to become. And if you don't think I'm zealous towards you, it is not because of a lack of love on my part, a lack of zeal on my part. It is simply because your heart is too small to receive what I have to give. 2 Corinthians 6 talks about it. And I quote Paul. Because I'm zealous for you. I'm zealous for myself and I'm zealous for the this thing called the Bride of Christ. And one must, if he or she loves the bridegroom, one must have a passion for the bride. I'm gonna ask Ralph to come up and share something he wrote about what what a church would look like. What a church would look like. Hey, he speaks softer than me, so turn up the volume a little.
1: Okay. Hi. Um, something I wrote a few oh, weeks
0: oh, by the way, sorry, start, I'm not done. i after the
1: <laughs> Um this is something I wrote about three weeks ago at half past one in the morning. I couldn't sleep and um I sensed the Holy Spirit wanting to speak to me and for years, people have been telling me to write a church that you can see um, leaders and people I know, and I've ignored them because I didn't feel ready. But I, I knew I needed to write something that evening, so I wrote it and I shared it with Jacob. So this is what I wrote. It said, in these moments, it is in these moments that great choices are made to defy the status quo, the safe, the safe path, the well-trodden road where expectations are placed upon you. To choose an alternative line that only makes sense in your heart a logic defying moment of clarity this is the path to be chosen to push away from the safety of the shore and venture out into the turbulent seas of the deep where you have no safety other than the assurance that you'll be okay because you are with him it is this path that i am compelled to choose in my heart resonates a cry for more for something more i see a church filled with happy people where the gospel is preached and lived, where the law of love is followed, where less is more, where the common priesthood is celebrated, where women have a voice and are released into their destiny, where the gospel of inclusion filters into an inclusive church, where anyone and everyone can find the glorious redemptive hope of Christ, where generosity is celebrated over percentages, where we gather to glorify and celebrate Him not to get our weekly spiritual fix we're going out to make disciples trumps the allure of meetings where we gather to go where devotion is championed over discipline where diligence and faithfulness are desired more than excellence where children are part of the life of the church where fathers raise sons demonstrating this by laying their lives down for their sons where we hold on to people loosely and celebrate their going out to fulfill their call where people are more important than programs and buildings, where prayer is heartfelt communion with God, contemplative and active, and embraces the practice of listening, where where rest is valued, and resting in Him is seen as something to be desired, where the church actively seeks to build bridges, inroads into society, where the aim is to equip believers to be disciple-makers who go out, where we stand with those on the outskirts of society where prayer prevails because we seek to see things through, where honor is practiced mutually, where submission one to another becomes culture, where order is respected, where suffering is not seen as failing, but part of learning, where the gospel of grace is proclaimed, where our desire to be a people of faith that goes beyond money, jobs, and healing, but reflects the faith we read in Hebrews 11, where we desire truth but guard against becoming exclusive, because we have cornered all truth, a closed-hand, open-hand approach. We are always celebrating the beautiful dance of the Trinity and continue to invite others into the same dance. For us, this is a moment to decide if we are willing to build this church that Jesus desires for us to build. This is Happy Church, a place of intoxicating joy, where happiness and joy are synonymous because of our uniqueness in Him. Each week is a joyful celebration of Him, expressed through His gifts and the creative gifts He has given to the church, where households are the lifeblood of church, where open lives are cultivated, where people will see and discover what it means to have good homes, good lives, and good works, the bedrock of discipleship.
0: Go listen to it, guys. I've now heard it three times, and it's marvelous. Go listen to it. We'll just talk about how do we overcome and then we'll end, because I've got how overcoming overcomers will be rewarded. We won't be able to do that today. You'll have to wait for two weeks. How do we overcome? How do we overcome? We'll talk about that now. How do we overcome? Um, because we are led by, hey, remember that song, Take Me to Your Leader, Son? You guys, do do you know a group called DC Talk? Do you know a group called Audio Adrenaline? Okay, Charlene, you must have been born before (laughs) we leave it at that. (laughs) You know, most of you guys were born at a time when music was declining. You're already on probation, so I don't know what to do with you, Mark. (laughs) Okay, how do we overcome? Because Christ is the overcomer, he left us some very, very useful ways of overcoming, which I would suggest we just take and run with, because there's no need to interpret it. One of the ways Christ said you overcome is you hear what the Spirit is saying hear what the spirit is saying in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 in Revelation 2, 7, 11, 17, chapter 3 one of the things he keeps saying is hear what, the Holy, hear what the Holy Spirit is saying and if you hear what the spirit is saying you will overcome hear what the spirit is saying hear what the spirit is saying someone asked me yesterday Hey Jacob, how come every Sunday and every time I've met you, and you've been, uh, I've known you for five or six years now, every time I meet you and every Sunday, or every time you're uh, talking to somebody, how come you can do it as passionately as you do it? Because I've never seen you not doing it with a passion. And my only response was because. When I do what I'm doing, I do it after hearing what the Spirit of God says. And if I have heard what the Spirit of God says, it is life and spirit. So what else can you do but do it passionately? What else can you do? And therefore it is required that I hear and you hear and we hear the Spirit very clearly for Everything and the spirit of God will change the background, the backdrop, the scenery, the environment every three or four months or less sometimes. The only predictable thing about Jesus was his unpredictability. Because he did not know what the spirit of God would do next. So he did not know how he would heal, how he would travel. When he would go, when he would not. What he would say, whether he should say the same thing or whether he shouldn't. Hear what the Spirit is saying. Because it's absurd and it will be consequential if you hear what the Spirit is saying and then choose not to participate in what the Spirit of God wants to do in his community. By the way, you are the community of the Spirit. You are not Acts 29 first. You are not whatever denomination we belong to every other week. You are not a church that is pastored by Jacob. You are not the people that you are with. First and foremost, you are the community of the Spirit, which is why Tony, Mark, Patsy, Charlene, and Kath, Catherine, Kathy, right, can come from anywhere they want and find absolute location, inheritance in any place they go to in the body of Christ, because we are the community of the Spirit. We are not Acts 29 first by a mile. And therefore, it is absurd if you sense the Spirit of God speaking here and inviting the church to do something. And it is both absurd and consequential to your life if after you hear it and know it is the Spirit of God, if you don't participate and still continue to be a part of His community. That's like saying, I'm part of this house, but I don't care what you say. I just want to live here. That's called friends with benefits. It's not sons and daughters. How do we overcome? Jesus said, hear what the Spirit is saying. Second, be of good cheer. Hard thing, eh? Hard thing to do when things are not going well some of us have made it a habit of being not in good cheer be of good cheer in tribulation John 16 verse 33 Jesus says be of good cheer Jacob when you're going through really difficult times because I have overcome the world in this world Jacob I assure you you will have trials and tribulations if you didn't want it you should have stayed in the world it was a pleasanter place to stay but because the prince of the power of the air at present holds sway over the world you will have trials and tribulations but be of good cheer Jacob because I have overcome the world In James chapter 1 verse 3 onwards it says, testing forces your faith life into the open. It makes you mature so that you lack nothing. One of the things that should be taught in the prosperity gospel is that testing is going to come. And when testing comes you will be made mature and you will lack nothing. Testing forces your faith life into the open. Beautifully said in the message. Jacob, testing forces your faith life into the open. Be of good cheer. That's the second part. Third part. It says your faith. Your faith helps you overcome. It says in 1 John. Chapter 5 verse 4, your faith endures and conquers and it brings the world to its knees. In other versions it says, your faith overcomes, your faith overcomes. It's such a beautiful progression if you want to be an overcomer and if you want to be an overcoming church. The first is, hear what the Spirit is saying. Even when he says, I am taking you into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Hear what the Spirit is saying. Now that you hear what the Spirit has said, be of good cheer even though you're going through trials and tribulations, be of good cheer because I have overcome. As in, Jacob, I've already engaged what you're going to engage. I have already contended with what you're going to contend with. I've already overcome or prevailed over it. And I assure you, I have the final word in this. So please, Jacob, be of good cheer. Hold my hand. I will be what I need to be to you through this. Comforter, rescuer, butt kicker, whatever you want me to be, I will be so that you can get through this. I take back the um, kicker thingy because it might be offensive to some. What I meant is someone who is not your comforter but someone who suddenly wants to really kick the backside of opposition. Backside kicker, that's what I really wanted to say. Your faith overcomes now that you're of good cheer, show me your faith, Jacob. I've been teaching you so long about your, how to stand in faith. Now show me your faith. And What kind of faith? The Hebrews 11, 33 to 35 faith. Hebrews 11, 33 to 35 faith. Worth reading again. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33 to 35. I hope you do turn to the scriptures when I call them out because you really don't know these scriptures by heart because they're never talked about. At least I don't. Who through faith, chapter uh, chapter 11, verse 33 to 35, Hebrews 11, 33, 33 to 35. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were changed and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith. Wow. That is the nature of a prevailing church. Now you see how far we are from it and how we have to work at this for a while. And the last one and then we'll end with that is the assurance of his love. The assurance of his love. These seem like simple ways to overcome but Jesus... Was always simple. So that comes from Revelation two and three. That comes from John sixteen thirty three, and uh, James one three to five. That comes from First John five. 1 John five four, and Hebrews eleven thirty three to. 35 and this one comes from Romans 8 37 where it says that we are more than conquerors through what we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us the verse before that says who can separate us from the love of God we are more than conquerors through him who loves us so there is the assurance of his love and his presence that makes you An overcomer. Assurance of his love and presence is something that makes you an overcomer. Because in all these things, as in all what things, in the face of the seduction of the world, in the face of opposition from spiritual forces, in the face of persecution by um, agents of human agents of the enemy, in the face of the culture of the world that is insidiously making its way into the church, in the face of all this, know that. You, Acts 29, can be more than conquerors because I love you and you cannot be separated from me. I love you and you cannot be separated from me. I love you and you cannot be separated from me. This is why it's critical to practice locating yourself in him. Critical to practice locating yourself in him. Locate yourself. Uh, Practicing the presence is so often used now, I don't even know what it means. But I kind of understand locating him. Ashaks, there you are. Now I've got you in my line of vision. I'm within your earshot. i got you. Locate him. To stay located in him will take you through the worst times of trouble because you know you're North Star. You, You know you're North Star. You know he's there. Children live like this. Children dare things like this. Children take risks like this. Children experiment with things like this. And they are safe and they grow stronger and stronger and stronger because the one thing they look for is can I locate dad or mom? And if I can see their face, if I'm within their line of vision and within earshot, I am safe. Locate him. And the strange thing with locating him that way is you will behave a certain way too. Children behave. Children use the right words. They don't say wrong words when their parents are within earshot. You will behave properly. A man is betrayed by the words he speaks. Eh? Locate him. Or else you will be like Jacob at Bethel where... He says, God is in this place and I did not even know it. Why? Because he didn't live locating God. God had to locate him continuously. When he was in the womb, God had to locate him. Saying, stop fighting with Esau. You'll come out in due time and I'll make you bigger than your brother. But it's, God had to locate him in his cheating, his father. God has to locate him in Bethel. God has to locate him at Peniel. If you don't locate God, here's what happens. You miss out. You don't realize he's there till, he's, till you wake up in the morning. Or you locate him. Yes, you find him. You find him, but you find that you're limping because he just dislocated your hip. That's not the best way to locate him. Or you find that you panicked in the boat and he was there all along. But what if that wasn't the way we did things? front except uh, Dano. Dano can take care of the kids and Blessy can come up to pray for people. And if you need prayer, feel free to come up and we'll pray for you. Hey, Ryan, can you put up uh, oceans?